Mary, the fulfillment of a healthy sex life held no fear. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on The Dispatch. Why Anne Derek Gaillot loves the sensitivity of cupcake. And why Jeremy Gordon can't stand popular children. Here's The Dispatch. Culture. The Chicago rapper Cupcake is often described as raunchy, freaky, and audacious. But if you read between the lyrics like, give him smurf dick that's balls blue, there's a strong mix of honesty and sex positivity that's refreshing to hear. And Derek Gaillot, staff writer here at The Outline, reviewed Cupcake's new album, Eferize. Hi, Anne. You know, I've actually in my mind been saying Eferize, but I guess I'm not sure what the pronunciation E-for-eyes, is. Cupcake, if you're listening, let us know how to pronounce it. But why do you think she named her album Eferize or Eferize? I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> well, okay. So for starters, for folks who don't know who Cupcake is, what should we know about her? Well, Cupcake is a 20-year-old rapper from Chicago, and she came to attention a few years ago for one of her first songs called Vagina. Remind ya, I'm kinda wet, running down my vagina. Now she's just gained a lot of attention for having raps in the style of Little Kim and Foxy Brown, but with a new twist, I guess. Yeah, so what is the new twist? What's different about this album from her previous work? Well, I think, you know, this album is getting a lot of attention for just how emotionally vulnerable and intimate it is. She mixes her really awesome and fun, sexually explicit songs that she's known for with really emotionally vulnerable and intimate songs, which isn't an easy thing to accomplish. And actually, if you look at her past mixtapes and albums, starting with Come Cake from, I believe, 2016, she's always been really open about her life, really open about her struggles and her vulnerabilities, while at the same time being super confident and kind of exhibiting this sexual freedom that a lot of people only wish they could exhibit. Dick is a huge theme in her music and one that she's never going to let go of, which I think is awesome. Themes of empowerment are really central to her music. The first song on the album, Two Minutes, is a really like motivational, slower song about how hard life can be and how you just gotta keep your head up through it. This that studio session. Listen up. Where I deliver you a message. Real shit, real shit. Reminding you to count your blessings. Got some. Cause some ain't make it to their breakfast. That ain't no crisis. That's just life shit. Life go up and down like a light switch. One thing her fans will recognize on this album is she has the song Crayons, which is sort of a like LGBT equality anthem. Man got a man, that's what's up. Love is love, who give a fuck? Girl on girl, they like yup. But when it's man on man, they like yuck. What has the backlash or criticism been like to Cupcake? Well, I think there's two things. I think that a lot of really talented female rappers just never get the amount of tension that they, I think, deserve. I'm thinking of like Lee K. Lee 47 and No Name are artists that are super talented but don't really get as much attention as I think they deserve. But another thing is people just are really, some people are very offended by the 
frankness with which she talks about sex and her own sex life. But mostly it's just people afraid of this really strong, honest Black woman rapping. How do you think Black women are received when they frame themselves as explicit or deeply in control of their sexuality? Are they allowed to be that way in public? I think when Black women artists are so explicit and open about their sexuality and, you know, their love of sex, they kind of can get pigeonholed as a gimmick or just sort of a shock artist with nothing deep or worthy of further thought or something like that. So I think that just especially now when people are talking a lot about shame and shame around sexuality and shame around sexual assault and abuse, I think that the way she speaks out about things she's experienced in her own life, including sexual abuse, combined with her still talking about how much she loves sex and like ways she likes to have sex and things like that, I think is a really awesome and brave thing because a lot of times, especially Black women, are told that they can't inhabit both of those spaces at once. What do you think this new work that she's just put out does for the landscape of hip-hop and, and music right now? Wow, Aaron, <laughs> you are hitting me with the deep questions. Like, she's really reminding me sort of, they have very different music, but like Cardi B, she has really embraced, she's known from the beginning what her identity is and what her mission in her music is, and she hasn't tried to tone that down. She's kind of like this representation of authenticity that I think is really awesome. And Derek Gallo is a staff writer at The Outline. Thanks, Anne. Aaron Edwards is a Forbes 30 for 30 2016. Wow, I'm turning person. this off now. Bye. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Culture. Commercials make the world go round. We can't avoid them. But lately, the same group of kid stars has been trying to sell me stuff on TV, and I'm tired of it. Jeremy Gordon, culture editor here at The Outline, is ticked off as well. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Aaron. Who are these kids that we're talking about today? These are the precocious children of Stranger Things, aged, I believe, 11 to 20-something. One of them plays a teenager, even though he's an adult. The other, I believe, are preteens playing preteens, <laughs> and they are all in commercials. Where have you seen them? What are they selling? Uh, they are selling Hellman's mayonnaise. They're selling <laughs> Visa cards, <laughs> Converse Chuck Taylors, and Citibank. Building the ultimate Finn Wolfhard Strange Witch is as easy as the roll of a dice. Cool. A Hellman Strange Witch. What's wrong with this? So in general, I am always a little bit distrustful of advertising because, you know, I've read many books and listened to many Rage Against the Machine records, but specifically Stranger Things is a show that trades on its audience's familiarity with a set of cultural touch points, in this case, the 80s, and it gives its viewership a sense of kinship and sentimentality. I, I think this is in no small part uh, part of its success. And with the advertising, there's the same sense of transference, whereas, you know, you recognize these Stranger Things actors and then you want to sign up for a Citibank account. 
you cannot tell me that this one kid, Gatton Matsurazo, I can't say his name, he is the child with a lisp, you cannot tell me that this lispy child has ever wanted to <laughs> sign up for Fios Internet, uh, that he has ever told his parents, if you don't sign up for Fios, I don't know what we're going to do. Guys, it's not the 80s. Fios is a fiber optic network that can move insane amounts of data at ridiculous speed. What's that mean? It means it's scientifically awesome. Just infuriates okay. me so, Aaron. Right, yeah, I, I'm going to... I'm going to pause you there because I don't want you to freak out on the Stranger Things kids, but I see them all the time too. Like they're on late night shows and they are always giving interviews. And I think for me, the issue is that, like you said, there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. So at any given point, there could be three, four, or five Stranger Things kids on every late night show, on every talk show, on lip sync battle, everywhere. It's just kind of inescapable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, aside from just the fact that they're not really tailored to selling these particular products, what really like annoys you about the saturation? The saturation for Stranger Things is by no means a unique phenomenon. It is currently just the most popular show right now, and more than just being a popular show, one that lends itself well towards uh, you know internet engagement because of this these familiar touch points and the fact that every episode has some reference to something rather. The fact that the kids are cute. The fact that it is like a creepy, well-designed show. Typically, celebrities often do play some character that they are associated with. For example, in the John Hamm H&R Block commercials, he appears in a suit with his hair slicked back, and he's very stately and authoritative, and he's clearly meant to evoke Don Draper. They just can't say that he's actually Don Draper. Hey, here's an idea. What if instead of waiting weeks for your tax refund, you could get an advance on that refund? And especially with Stranger Things, with the exception of Millie Bobby Brown, they all play these sort of loose, cool, well-dressed, like fun-having versions of themselves. And it's just a lot easier for someone to think, hey, it's the guy from Stranger Things. He's playing, he's appearing to me as he always does. The fact that Stranger Things happens to be the show of the moment makes it a little bit more aggravating when you see it over and over again because you very well know that some executive is just sitting in their room thinking, who, what kid can we get for this uh, commercial? What's a cute child? And then they think, well, what about Stranger Things? Do you watch the show? I watched the first season, yes, not the second. My self-care is that I stop watching television shows that I don't enjoy instead of powering through, which, honestly, I think everybody should do. And now your punishment is seeing them everywhere. It's true. It's the monkey's paw curse. I wish that I would never get have to watch this dumb show again. And I never did watch the show again, but now I see the ads everywhere. It's very upsetting. Jeremy Gordon is culture editor here at The Outline. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Aaron. That's it for The Dispatch. Remember, if you like the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Aaron Edwards. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories.